Welcome to a bonus episode of A Life in Film. Our guest today got her first job while still at drama school, Martina Coles, The Runaway, alongside Jack O'Connell. Since then, she's been a part of some incredible productions on stage, TV and film. What Macy knew, alongside Julianne Moore and Alexander Skarsgård, Richard III at the Almeida Theatre alongside Ralph Fiennes, but you may know her best for her villainous turn in Legends of Tomorrow, or Warrior, based on the writings of Bruce Lee. Today she's here to talk about her new show, Crime, alongside Do Grey Scott, premiering on the 18th of November. Our guest today is Joanna Van Damme. It's a life and fail! Joanna, thanks so much for coming on. I've just watched a couple of episodes of your show. I only just managed to squeeze them in before the interview, but really enjoyed it. It's it's certainly a hard-hitting... I mean, it's one of those shows that you... It's just a horrible subject matter, but it's dealt with very nicely. Um, and your performance is incredible, so congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's interesting that... Um that you say Irvin's dealt with it nicely. I don't know that anyone would ever normally describe Irvin Welsh as nice, but I think he he definitely brings a lot of himself to it. And I feel like fans of his work are, are going to be thrilled because it is based on his novel, but it isn't the same story. It's like what happens before the novel. So it's it's brand new Irvin Welsh content. And yeah, it is, it is quite hard hitting. So kind of, but then I think people expect that from Irvin, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this sort of subject matter as well. I mean, it's, yeah, the word nicely, it's kind of done delicately in a way that, you know, you're watching this thinking, God, it's such a horrendous thing that it's dealing with. But um, I was watching it and I felt kind of, I felt educated. I didn't feel like I was grossed out by it. Um, you know, because Drew Scott's one of the exec producers and he's been involved in the project from its inception. He really wanted to give not the underdog, but the the, the, the sort of the unseen side of society, the unglamorous side of society, a voice. And he wanted to really hit home the fact that like their lives matter and that there, there are lots of people kind of just living ordinary lives and sending their kids to school. And that he, he sort of didn't, I think I think that's something that Irvin does really well as well is that he doesn't necessarily he, no one escapes judgment from Irvin so like you, whether you're a politician or a teacher or a mum there's always this kind of comment and I think that that's the type of drama that we need at the moment and then couple that with Dugray who wants to be empathetic and shine a light on on the way that people who don't have money just don't live in this in the same world as people who have money. I think what it, what they've kind of concocted is this really urgent reinvention of uh, detective drama. And it deals, I mean, deals with a lot of subject matters, obviously. But I mean, the lead characters. Um... He, he deals with obviously alcoholism um, without giving anything away but like that depiction of that I've not really seen it done so well like his Amazing. portrayal of it is pretty haunting <laughs> to say okay. the least 
I think um, it was like being there, being there and watching him work in person was um, at times very humbling because his performance is, is, is just incredible and so moving. But then at times quite funny, not that because, you know, you're so, for example, you're like in the car and he's he's enacting something that's going on in his brain, but I'm still there. And it's like I have to just sort of be really professional and quiet and sort of try and like blend into the background. But I mean, not that I could ever have distracted him because he's he's such a consummate professional. But it was it was quite funny at times just to be like and, you know, um, James Strong, the director, turned to me sort of after Degree had done one of these these uh versions and was like okay Joe it's your turn are you ready (laughs) (laughs) so it was you know it was about finding that levity in in such dark subjects and I often find that's the way when you're when you're filming something where the subject is quite harrowing people really need those moments of lightness like when the camera stops rolling um I mean, there's a scene where um, Jamie says is, he's sort of, I'm just going to say fighting because I don't want to give it away. And we had to do take after take after take. And I feel so bad for them because they were sweating and they weren't allowed to look sweaty. And it was, it was a lot. Um, And and they just found so much hilarity in it. And we were all kind of like trying not to, not to cry and mess up the makeup. And, you know, there was a scene where Ken stopped so basically the way that the interview room is, is designed is that we could actually hear what everyone was saying at all times so that we could play those scenes as almost like a play, um, you know, in real time. And there's a scene where Ken Stott is reacting to one of Dugray's interviews and, um, and he's, he's like, oh, I'm going to lose my job. And like, we just, we have, because we're on camera as well, we have to like try desperately not to laugh. So it was it was brilliant. It was a really really fun experience. I hope we get another season. That's not what I was expecting you to say. Such <laughs> a fun experience on this show. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so dark, but um, it sometimes really sometimes that is the way. That is the way. Sometimes the darker the thing. It's when you're doing a comedy, and um, that sometimes is more stressful because you're kind of like we're really trying to be funny, and therefore the rest of the time no one's laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, you're absolutely right. So I think I think it was sort of necessary for our souls afterwards. And how I mean, this I mean I'm familiar with. I mean I saw Filth with James McAvoy, and this character is a continuation. Is it? Am I right in thinking it's kind of a sequel to that? Um, yeah, yeah, it is a similar. Um, like it's a lot of the same characters. So. Um, I think um, for me, in my, in my research, like I read crime obviously before mm. I auditioned and realized that Amanda Drummond's not really in the novel, but she's referenced. And so I went back and read Filth and watched the show and stuff, and she's referenced a lot. And but she's referenced horribly. So James McAvoy's character is like, you know, saying that she's she's like, oh, I, can't, oh, I wish I could remember some quotes, but like, you know, saying that she looks like a Oh, I can't even remember. But like he really slags her off. And so I was there going, right, how do I play, how do I play this kind of like comical person? But obviously she's she's not. Um, but we've we sort of jumped a little um a period in time and a few years down the line from that. Um, but it was it was great to have that as a resource while I was, you know, prepping for the role because even though it's very much from 
um, I think his character name's Bruce, I think it's Bruce perspective in film. So you always have to take it with a pinch of salt. It it was insightful into like the um, atmosphere, the dynamics in the workplace and all the things that you basically then see my character railing against because it's so evident in, in film. Um, but also just so fun to get to like be in an Irvin Welsh's drama, you know, like having that um, kind of excuse to go back through his catalogue was, mm. was joyous. Yeah, what a great thing to have when you've got a part and you know you can you have an excuse to do that homework, even if you don't really need to, you can kind of go back and have a look through everything. I love the fact that I can say I'm working when I'm just watching a movie. Exactly. That's what I was doing this afternoon, watching your show. <laughs> it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> Um, and and so with this, was it how, how did this job come about? Was it an usual kind of um, audition process? Well, I thought it was. So, Dougray, I knew that I knew that he was making crime, and I'd known for maybe six months, maybe nine months. Um, my agent had mentioned it to me and said that, that Dougray was making the show and that it was a part I could be right for, but they didn't know when it was going to start and all that stuff. So I knew that that it was happening. And then I got the call saying, can you send in a self tape? Which, which I hate. <laughs> I, I really, I, I love auditions in person. I love them. It's just like at vacuum, you just don't know if you're on the right page at all. Mm. So I sort of sent this thing off and was like, oh, I don't know if this is right. And then I got, you know, the, the, the call saying, James Strong wants to do a Zoom with you and chat a bit about the character. So we did, and we read a couple of scenes. So that's fairly straightforward. That's that's like what sounds like a normal audition process. And then we're on set, and we're in the car, and I'm and I'm doing the scene, and I and I sort of casually said to Dougray, "This is the scene I, I read in my audition." And James was like, "You, but you didn't you didn't need to audition." And I was like, "What? Like, well, what was that whole thing?" And he was like, "Yeah, you were. Yeah, you already had it." And I'm like, now you tell me. So I, I thought it was a very, a very standard process, but apparently I was, I was, they, they knew that, that they wanted me. And, and Dougray is so sweet. And he sort of said, because he's a, an exec, kept saying how thrilled he was that people had this belief in the project. And that was kind of where it came from. It's like, you, you read the script and you, you do want to be a part of it. It is so kind of fun. And, and then I think that they've elevated it even further with the edit and, and with the additional stuff that they've worked in through the kind of, um, post-production process so mm. yeah it was it was quite dream come true territory mm. I mean there's a lot of shows um, of this ilk but for me when I was watching it it stood out um, not just in the way that it was shot but all the performances and everything else it just felt um, <laughs> this is probably an awful thing to say but you know when you watch a Netflix show or an American show it's kind of got a feel of it being a film Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with British TV, it looks cheaper. It looks something about it looks very TV. This didn't at all. It looked like a feature film, which is obviously I, I'm guessing what they were going for. But I just wanted to ask as well. Um, obviously, we know that you're doing this now, and I believe you're doing. I'm oh, sorry, you've got this coming out, but you've also got a um, BBC miniseries coming out too. Yeah, the Control Room, which was also filmed in Glasgow. Oh, wow. Um, which is like mental. So I basically spent most of last year there. Um, but this is, a, this is a completely different show for me. Like in crime, my character is often sort of 
in control and it's very rare that she sort of loses that and and that was very much like the the point in in the character so that there's always this anchor point to come back to and as she starts to sort of deteriorate um as the, the show goes on it's that's her that's her journey is that she starts thinking she knows everything and that she's in control and then she kind of doesn't whereas with the control room my character just like bursts in after like years and years and years into this guy's life and just causes absolute chaos and she doesn't have a clue what she's doing with her life I mean you would never describe her as being in control um and she's she's at a real crossroads she's she's at a place where she's pretty desperate and I've been thinking about like the the main theme of it and and it is it's a thriller it's definitely a thriller about betrayal and I think it's going to really resonate with people and I think it's been shot in a way that is super interesting so Amy Neal directed it and Ian DeCasca is the lead it was like it was just so much fun to get to come in and be this kind of like wicked hilarious mischief maker after after having played Drummond who's got to be quite lived up you know so it was it's been a fun fun year that's a nice contrast it's funny that you shot them in the same place it must be a bit weird kind of how which set am I on now like just make sure that you're in the right headspace yeah I just have to look in the mirror and go what color is my hair (laughs) that was kind of the deciding deciding factor no I'm teasing I did a lot more work than just my hair (laughs) you watched a load of films you dyed your hair (laughs) So, and this is coming out next year, is it? Yeah, I think it's spring next year on BBC. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that one as well. Brilliant. And, and I mean, I, I have to admit, I actually, um, I remember watching you in The Runaway. Oh, um, amazing. Which I believe was, am I right in thinking your first? Your first yeah. yeah. So how, like, did you come straight out of drama school and just go straight into that show? Um, I actually booked that while I was still in drama school. So I... Um, I never really thought I would do TV. Like I, I became interested in acting because I was watching plays and I thought I would just be a theatre actor. And um, so we were being taught how to do an audition for screen. And um, I mean, again, I thought I'm rubbish. And then, although that was mainly because the casting director who came was like so unbelievably kind of, she didn't hold back with her feedback. So, I mean, we, yeah, we learned. Um, and then like five months later, she was casting The Runaway and she called the head of acting and said, can that blonde come and do an audition? And and I and they helped me learn the, the accent and the scenes and they worked the scenes with me and, and then I got the job. And um, before I left, she, the casting director uh, met me in London and took me, she paid for us to go in taxis to, the different agents that I was meeting to represent me and she would sit outside the waiting room while I had my meeting and then she would pick me up and say okay like who's next and she would like talk about it with me and, and help me kind of choose choose an agent and she she really kind of was was an amazing um support and and set me on my way so I owe a lot to her. That's incredible yeah that I mean that's that's the dream, isn't it? To have someone that can kind of tell you what you need to do. And and then, especially when you first start out, kind of like, well, how do I even begin this? That's amazing yeah. that there was someone that could do that. And so, I mean, looking yeah. at your credits, you've, I mean, you've done some amazing things. And obviously you have done theatre as well, but do you have 
you, I mean, obviously you're promoting crime right now, but like, what what's your kind of ideal? Do you do you like to have a mixture, or, or is it film, TV, or, or or do you prefer stage stage work? I, I do like having a mixture, um, and I've been lucky enough to to have that. Um, there is something about being um, on stage and rehearsing and basically getting to kind of act 99% of the time. Whereas when you're on set, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of like, we're going to move the camera and you just have to wait for 20 minutes. Um, but at the same time, you know, it gets seen by so many people and, and you want people to hear your stories and you think that the work is wonderful and you want people to see it. So there is definitely a kind of, um, you know, it, I, I personally feel like it's, it's about both. It's about being able to, to work at the national, work at the Royal Court and then film a TV series and then a film and then a bit of radio. And because then you just keep learning and you keep working with different people. And, and if you end up doing one thing, I've heard a lot of actors actually say that they get stage fright because they haven't been on stage for so long. So I think it's time for me to get back on stage. <laughs> you started to get the fear. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting the fear. I'm just like I'm getting the bug. I'm like, yeah, can I yeah. can I go? You know, rehearse. What's been What's been really interesting though is when you um, we had a rehearsal for um, the control room, and we sort of had the, the the locations kind of blocked out, so we knew where we could go and where we could stand. Then two months later, we're in the actual location and we're filming it for real. And our our instincts that we had months before having read the script far fewer times were still so valid and it was like it was a real reminder of just like trust your instincts yeah it's interesting isn't it especially with the process of like rehearsal or going over and sometimes when you do the first read through that's actually you do the natural thing and then actually that is the thing that works and like that, I remember when we were doing the dazzle which um was Andrew Scott and David Dawson and myself and Simon Evans was directing and we did the read through and there were people were laughing and there were a couple of bits that, you know, people were really enjoying. And then we did probably the first two weeks of rehearsals and we did a, a show and it was really long. And all the audience was crying and it was like, ah, oh, we've definitely missed that kind of humour that we had originally that we maybe hadn't quite understood why it was so funny. And so then the final rehearsals were spent like putting that joy back into it till we opened in front of an audience and it was kind of fully formed so yeah I think I think if I have any kind of advice to myself moving forward is just to trust your instincts mm. well I was going to ask actually what if you could go back to when you first started out would that be the advice you'd give your younger self gosh um probably I mean probably something like that I think I think um there's there's something nice about kind of getting getting to look back and and I try not to regret things but I try to sort of learn from things and I think my advice would probably just to be kind be kinder than I was and that's self that's to people who maybe weren't like I don't know didn't didn't I think I think that's the especially in the world that we live now it's like you can never be too kind you know hundred percent that's solid that's solid advice some people on the on here give 
they they say something and I think ah, oh, but that's a really that's no, that's, a, that's a nice one. That's a really like yeah, no, I like that. Um, I was going to ask as well with I mean obviously you you've been doing this. Am I right in saying a decade now? Well, just over a decade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you? I mean, everyone has their ups and downs as an actor, and um, in the times where you're not working, you know, obviously we've just had a pandemic. I'm sure you're aware. Um, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> did you uh, did you bake banana bread? Were there things that you did in your spare time to sort of, you know, um, I, I I get you know a lot of actors are kind of sitting there rocking back and forth waiting for the next job, but it's always good to find a hobby isn't it to kind of uh to keep yourself um sane I guess do you, do you have anything like that that you do yeah yeah I mean I um it was funny again sort of well during lockdown realizing how you you don't have an original thought so we were we were absolutely doing what everyone else was doing you know watching Tiger King gardening <laughs> baking bread and um you know, then I sort of thought this is just a waste of my time. I have to I have to do something more productive. So I started writing, and I'd been I'd been writing um, for a couple of years before, but I'd never really had that concentrated time. So I spent I spent a lot of time both on a, a play and a film, and it's like it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I I did I I spent a lot of time writing, and and the hours just fly. I have so much respect for professional writers because I would, you know, I would sit down in the morning and by the end of the day, I think I'd written three pages and it, that was, that was an entire day of trying to write. Um, I think I'm quite critical of myself. So I would write and then I would delete and then I'd write and then I'd delete, which apparently you're not supposed to do. Apparently <laughs> just it. Um, but anyway, so, so I did, I got into writing and, and um, that has then stayed with me since we've come out of lockdown and, and, as I say, it's given me this real respect for people who actually can write. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm producing a couple of things and I'm working with some fantastic women who are going to write those things for, for real. Um, so that's what I have been doing and working on when I'm not actually filming. So it's just trying to keep, keep you know, mm. keep your hand in. And I find um, more, more active jobs I have, the more I realise um, how big you know a show is and how, how much goes into the making of it and I've been kind of pestering everybody and sort of saying so how did this start and who who approached whom and how did that work and just trying to get my head around the the real ins and outs of, of a production because mm. I think for a few years I was sort of just a bit oblivious and just thought well I come in and I do my bit and and then that's how I listen off I go but there's there's something about having a say in the, exactly the type of people that you portray and exactly the type of stories that you're in that um, has a real appeal for me now. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm focusing on. And um, again, for mental health as well as fitness and getting out of the house and stuff. And I ended up really hurting my knees. So I gave myself runner's knee, which apparently my physio oh, says no. is, is very common. And I, I then couldn't, walk my my partner had to carry me down the stairs and uh, yeah and it was I couldn't walk for about a week and then I, I I wasn't able to walk without pain for about nine months and it still is like uh, like I have to do my physio exercises every day or I will be in pain yeah. and 
so that I think forced me to kind of sit at the desk and get it done and you just never know like you know sometimes I hate I hate that phrasing phrase it was meant to be because I, I think you really do um you can have control of your own destiny but um I wonder if it would have gone a different way if I if I could walk <laughs> yeah I mean that um it's funny you mentioned knees because I I had a similar thing when I was running um and I do jujitsu as well and I blew one of my knees out so I couldn't run and um, I found these, you're probably already on this, but I found on the BBC, they have exercises for runners. I'm sure that's probably what you're already doing, but and it strengthens the muscles around the knee. Okay, I need to I get on that. Yeah, I mean, I did it for about a week and now totally fine. And then occasionally if my knee feels a bit dodgy when I go for a run, I'll then do it a few more times and it'll be fine. Um, it's, a, it's a miracle cure. Um, so I don't know what your what exercise you're doing, but um, I think from what I can remember, if I just typed in um, knee exercises for runners, BBC sports or something, okay. and it, it, it came up. But, um, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, it's no, it's really good. It was something my girlfriend introduced me to and she was doing them. I was like, that won't work. And then she was she was very right. <laughs> sorry what were we talking about that's throwing me off um yeah right obviously writing in your spare time I mean that is something that I think all actors it's you know there's you talk to any actor they're like oh I, I write as well or you know but genuinely is it's a really good I find it quite therapeutic I think it's quite a um it takes you off into another world for a bit doesn't it and uh and it's again you I think when you read a script if you've tried to do it yourself you have as you say this newfound respect and you read a script and when it's good you're like fair play like I know mm -hmm. how long this must have taken I feel like it also gives you a kind of better understanding when you're when you're the actor of what your role is in and 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 then you can kind of take that back into your mm. writing so I feel like they marry quite well mm. and how do you find with writing dialogue and stuff do you find being an actress and kind of when you're writing the dialogue do you like a madman do you kind of say it out loud and try and practice it and think does that sound like would I want to say that um what's your process with that yeah I definitely I think so I definitely kind of like write it in the, in the character's voice and I but I think it in my head I don't tend to talk out loud like ever like I people have asked me about like my friends or something they're like you never talk to yourself like if you're going and you're like oh, I forgot my keys you don't ever like say oh I must get my keys I'm like no I just ever I just only ever think so I'm like silently but like probably changing my facial expressions like a crazy person um and then what I find really useful is having friends read it out for me afterwards and having a conversation with them and kind of going okay what works what doesn't work and and then going back and kind of editing it that way and making sure everything makes sense and also making sure that everyone sounds different because you know you are you are writing them and like there's the risk that like for example when I write like elderly gentlemen that they all sound the same and it's like I need to I need they to move sound that like you and then you're like wait a minute <laughs> I need to go back and make sure that there's like there. a 60 year old man being like hey babes how are you <laughs> <laughs> nothing else <laughs> is, that, is that how you talk <laughs> uh. <laughs> this has been great thanks Joanna and I want to the last thing I want to um hassle you with is a question that has become a kind of a bit of tradition on this podcast but it tends to sometimes bring out interesting little stories I wanted to ask on set off set or on stage or wherever have you got a story that you can tell us 
that you were utterly humiliated or panicked or like it was just a massive disaster the the you know being on stage and forgetting your lines type scenario um yeah i mean definitely exactly that so i was doing uh, richard the third at the almeida and i was lady anne and ray fines was richard and okay, so the pressure was the pressure was on the pressure was on <laughs> pressure was on and this was probably quite far into the run i think it was maybe like two weeks before the end and so we some of us had gone for a drink the night before and some of us maybe hadn't gotten asleep and so some of us maybe missed the vocal warm-up and some of us being me obviously so I, I basically turned up and I was like I'm 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 so hungover this is awful and we, but I'm just putting my makeup on just going through the motions Scene. Luckily, an emotional scene, so I'm able to just kind of like sit in it a bit, and um, and then Rafe comes in, and it, the the sort of pace of the scene is supposed to change immediately. It's sort of like badinage back and forth. They're supposed to sound like gunfire, and um, and all of a sudden it just stops, and he's not saying anything, and I, and I was like, oh my god, he's forgotten his line, and so I was like racking my brain of like, how do I help him? What can I say? And then he just says his line, and I was like, oh, okay. No one will have noticed it was fine. So I saunter off stage and he carries on for the rest of the act. And, um, and then he comes, he comes sub-stage afterwards to the green room and he says, he's like, Joe, what happened? And I was like thinking, God, how do I tell Rafe Fines that he tried in front of 300 people? And then, he, and, then, and then he goes, you didn't say your line. And I was like, what? And apparently I just, nothing had come out. I'd just been staring at him, thinking he wasn't saying his line and, and he knew fine well that it was me. And it was just mortifying. And so I was just so embarrassed. And luckily he didn't, he didn't kind of say anything, but I've, I've, I've never risked it since then. I've been very serious since then. So yeah, it was quite embarrassing. Wow, that is a good one. Thank you so much. That is, yeah, savage. And especially in front of someone like that, where you're just like... I know. Oh. The bar is so high. You're like, oh. I love that you're like, oh, no, he's forgotten. I it was him. Yeah, I thought it was him the whole time. But maybe I'll just keep telling people it was him. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll just edit around it. And then just, yeah. When, he, when he's on here, I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. But... <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure, and um, all the best with crime. It's it's wicked. I'm gonna watch. The, I'm gonna watch another episode now. So um, well, good luck with everything. Enjoy. I will do. I will. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our guest Joanna. You'll be able to see Joanna in Crime on the 18th of November on BritBox. We hope you carry a positive message to those of you starting out, those of you who are veterans in the industry, and those of you who are simply fascinated by film. We are a small independent podcast and we're now part of Patreon, so if you'd like to get episodes early, amongst other bonuses, it would be hugely appreciated to have your support and word of mouth. Thank you. For any questions or requests, please email lifeinfilmpodcast at googlemail.com.